Welcome back, everybody, to the Cave of Solitude, your pop culture and comic book podcast coming to you from the megacity metropolis of Toronto. I'm your host, Eric Anthony, and joining us for the first time in 2021 is a repeat guest, one of my favorite friends to have on the show and and just to chat with in general. Welcome back, Mr. Sam Noir. Sam, how are you doing? Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to 2021. We're in the future. (laughs) Do things feel different? Not huh. everyone was like uh, this year. You know, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. I, I'm looking forward to 20, and now it's over. But it doesn't feel that different, does it? It's usually how it is, right? It's like, uh, so how does it feel like to be 21 now? Uh, I mean, maybe 21 is <laughs> not a good example because then you can go and yeah. buy, you know, alcohol. But uh, once you get past 21, you don't really feel the difference. It has to be a decade or or five years or so for you to really notice uh, things are different. Remember yeah. when it was like this? But yeah, 2020 blended into 2021. Uh, it seems just a, like we're still in the same year. but but Fairly seamlessly, all things considered. <laughs> yeah, thankfully, um, I, I mean, I haven't been watching the news in, since mm-hmm. the Christmas break, but you don't hear as much shenanigans on Twitter from a particular person anymore, which is nice. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, now that... Uh, they have been, I guess, uh, locked out of all the social media, including Shopify. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they, they listed the number of, uh, you know, like, I think a list of like 10 or 12 social medias. And I'm like, wait, why is Shopify on that list? I guess that kind of makes sense. Uh, when I think of how much I'm on my phone, because I've taken off Facebook uh, off my phone. I just have it on my tablet. So sometimes that's why I'm late to certain people tag me or mention me in something. I, mm-hmm. I may not see it for a while. But uh, I'm on Amazon a lot because I... Oh, I, okay. It's almost, As sort of a social platform? I don't even know if it is, but I find myself seeing things on sale or something that someone might like and I send it to them via WhatsApp or through the Facebook Messenger and it all ah, seems kind I of see. like interconnected like like I'm still uh interacting in a similar way even though I'm not maybe uh Mm -hmm. posting or commenting I'm still into and and they end up showing up on your social media feeds like hey you were just looking at this I don't know if you've noticed that with yourself interesting yeah now does that include your Amazon Prime watching uh like what you're watching on Amazon Prime with with uh them letting me know like notifying yeah. me? I, I don't know, yeah, actually. Yeah. I haven't paid attention to that. That's an interesting... Because uh, I know I in the consider. early days of Netflix, a friend of mine, uh, whatever you know, uh, setting on their phone, it would like notify you what they were watching on Netflix. Mm, yeah. Now, does That's... the Cave of Solitude feel apropos right now in, in the, the way things have been going this past year <sighs> that... Uh, that the name of your podcast, uh, uh, you know, is is less than metaphorical, shall we say? Yeah, uh, you're, it does. This year, I would say 2020 was, um, I've always been a little bit, I don't know if I regret, regret is the word, but I always like, man, if I could go back and rename the podcast, would I do that? But in 2020, I reconciled and, and, and uh, was at peace with the name of the mm-hmm. podcast and saying, you know what, this is fitting. And, <laughs> and 
it, it, it kind of made more sense too when you consider how much of a solitary hobby we have in whether you, you're a creator or whether you are a reader. Um, it, there's a certain s- solitude that comes with creation, even in the, you know, the cave of your mind, if you will. So to, Absolutely. So to come back with people who are creative or, or who are fans of the, mm-hmm. and read it and enjoy it is lonely. But then we come back and we share it and we say, hey, what about this? How did you feel about that? So it kind of, I'm like, you know what? I'll stick with the name. It was actually uh, Ron Friends who was like, why would you name it that? It sounds so sad. <laughs> and I said, can you just give me a bumper already? I know it's, <laughs> it sounds lame, but it's, it's an homage to Batman and Superman. That's, mm-hmm. yeah, so. But yes, you're right. It is, it is apropos. Long story short. Um, how, how, how have you been doing on the creative front? Cause you just, before we pressed record and in our own chats over uh, Facebook messenger, you were talking about some things that you are going to be working on with, uh, with Jason. Why don't you tell us about it? If you, if it's, uh, you can, you, you know what the uh, latest project, well, uh, my, my good friend Jason Takowitz and I, uh, do have, uh, on the verge of being released, uh, the latest issue of Aldrin. Again, the lockdowns kind of, affected we kickstarted this uh in the fall and uh the lockdown has kind of delayed it a little bit but we're excited that it's uh coming about shane is just finishing inking uh jason's pages so uh yeah that that'll be coming out the other uh, project actually is sort of uh uh full-size comic it's our first uh full-size comic project and i can't say too much about that Okay. Uh, but I can tell you that uh, Bally Skillen, which I've talked about, the augmented reality uh, fantasy series based on uh, uh, Irish mythology, which I'm doing with Andrew Dorland, the incredibly talented uh, Andrew Dorland, is uh, the arts in. I've got it all lettered. We're just doing the digital. Uh, we're, we're sending out copies to friends. I'll, I'll send you a copy, actually, uh, just just to get proofed. Uh, sending it to our proofreader uh, folks. You know, actually, any extra eyeball we can. So uh, once that process is done, probably in the next week or two, we're headed to print, which is exciting. And uh, the other thing is, I'm just as we're delivering one Kickstarter project, I am uh, launching another. So our old web comic which at one point was called fan fiction, and then at another time was called fandemonium, is uh, we're, we're going to collect it into one volume, into one graphic novel. And uh, just, uh, just to be, I guess, uh, a little cheeky about the circumstances we're in, and it's just the title only. We don't uh, go into any of it other than the pun of uh, the title pandemic with an exclamation mark so uh uh that's that we thought it appropriate to rename the the comic once again mm-hmm. just to reflect where we are and we're going to add some new material so we've been working on some mandalorian parodies and this is a comic of pop culture parody where we make fun of star wars superheroes sailor moon anime lord of the rings all the stuff all the the geeky stuff that uh, folks love uh and yeah, this is a comic strip that tended to go viral an awful lot because you know folks love a, a good Batman you know joke with puns in it and stuff. So uh, we're kind of excited to revisit it, especially uh, now. I, I, I'm really feeling like a, uh, now's a time we need a lot more laughter. 
mm. in our lives, if, if that makes any sense. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I just, I was saying to somebody today that uh, it feels like uh, in this day and age, as, as I'm sure it has been for centuries, but the most truth that you get often comes in comedy. Um, so you, it's such a healing uh, art form. And, and, you know, it just, it keeps you alive. It keeps you happy. That laughter, that lighter side of things sometimes is, is so essential. So yeah, mm-hmm. definitely we need as much laughter as we could get. I agree. Well, while we're on this subject, actually, uh, uh, a, a, a new series actually helped me kind of turn a corner. I was feeling in a, in a little bit of a, a rut the past month. It was kind of a lonely uh, holiday and a lot of sort of personal uh, things were were going on, which sort of impacts your mood and uh, your ability to sort of, again, I got a lot of work to do, but uh, I I binge watched Ted Lasso, which I believe is available on whatever the the Apple platform is called now. Apple TV, yeah. Apple TV, yeah, yeah. And uh, for something that is based on a commercial, a character that first showed up in, in a commercial, uh, Ted Lasso is a American football coach that goes over to England to become a soccer, or as they call it over there, a British football coach. Hmm. And uh, for all intents and purposes, you see this original commercial and it's kind of a one-note character. You know, that ugly American character or that ignorant American character. And so uh, this shouldn't work. You think of something like the, is it the Geico Cavemen, which got their own show, which was a terrible idea. But it is the best show I have seen in a while in terms of positivity. The best show since, say, uh, The Good Place. That actually I, I leave it feeling lighter, feeling better, uh, and not that it doesn't have its moment. Hmm. Ted Lasso is a character that uh, is going through some personal crisis, but uh, I have to admit, the, the positivity of this show, it's all about, uh, without getting too deep or spoiling it, it's all about uh, forgiveness. It's all about uh, creating understanding between your fellow human beings, especially in times of friction which mm. all of us are, are kind of living with. Uh, uh, yeah, so I think it's, a, it's exactly the kind of message we need right now. Yeah, that, that, that's a great uh, advertisement for it because I watched the first episode uh, a couple weekends ago and I do intend to, to finish it because I did enjoy it. Uh, the premise was, was interesting. And I do like um, oh, the name Jason Sudeikis. Is that the name? The yeah, name? yeah. I like him. I, he makes me laugh. I like them in Horrible Bosses. I, I don't know what it is. There's something just about his his timing that just gets me. So I know that I would uh, definitely enjoy it. But you're right. That that sense of having a show that you fit after you're done watching, you don't feel stressed or aggravated to know what's going to happen next or you're you're so invested because of um the intense drama but you Mm -hmm. feel good having lived with those characters for a bit that's a nice feeling Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't get enough of those endorsements shows that just make you feel good for sure for sure yeah good place is a good uh a good comparison Mm -hmm. good place makes you laugh and it's very silly but uh, it makes you ask some big questions, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, like I think the creator, uh, Michael Shore, described it as a sitcom about 
moral philosophy wrapped in uh, dick and fart jokes, yes. essentially. Yes, that's a great. That is a great description. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a good one. Any other shows that come to mind for you that are those uh, just feel good shows when you watch them? It puts you in a happy place. Um, hard to say. You know, these. I, I feel like those kind of shows are really uh, uh, tough to come by. Something that has sort of this message of positivity. But I I couldn't help watching just because the other show. I think we both binged uh, the third season of Cobra Cobra Kai. Yeah. Yeah, I did. That I, that, that I, I almost feel like uh, as because uh, I, I binged Cobra Kai and then I binged Ted Lasso, and I almost feel like the two main characters, uh, Daniel and Johnny in uh, Cobra Kai. If only they could, uh, you know, take a, a page from Coach Lasso's uh, <laughs> uh, handbook about uh, you know forgiveness and understanding. Uh, they they wouldn't misunderstand each other so much on that show you know and again there might not be as much drama as a result but uh, i know everyone's sort of rooting for them to get along and and not to to give anything away but uh it took it took it takes a while right yeah it's it's such an interesting word right that it's so cliche and used in everyday conversation but understanding we Mm -hmm. we feel that we would you rather have people understand or agree? And and they become like interchangeable words in a way. And sometimes just having understanding leads to compassion. And and it's Absolutely. so it's so much more important to not not so much agree, but when you understand a person, you respect that space in a way that uh, accommodates, but also it doesn't make you have to bend or pretend to be something you're not. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, absolutely. You see where the other person is coming from. You're able to sort of walk in their shoes. And this is the empathy and compassion that this this character that Jason Sudeikis has uh, created. It's such a gentle character. And it's not that he doesn't have any edginess at all. He's he's definitely a character that's suffering right. uh, a lot of crisis in, in this show, like life-changing uh, crisis. But it's just kind of the way he's handling it. So... So yeah, just uh, uh, it's 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 not a show that is free from drama so much, but it is a show that uh, takes that drama and brings people together rather than splitting them apart. Even the antagonists, you know what I mean? Uh, there's there's greater understanding uh, by the end of it and empathy towards them and why uh, they behave in these manner and uh, this manner and, and some even end up as, as, uh, friends versus, you know, uh, cause, uh, part of me thought as it opened, it, it looked like the start of, uh, what, have you ever seen the movie major league? Yes. It, yes. So, That's exactly what it reminded me of. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so as, as that, as cliche as those movies are, you expect it to go in a certain direction. And I love the fact that, uh, it went in the most unexpected direction that, that you could imagine in, in terms cool. of those cliches. That's cool. There you is know, a... the authority figure isn't the bad guy necessarily. Mm, yes. Yes. No, I, I, that's a great comparison of what I, I guess the elevator pitch would seem like with with the Ted Lasso and Major League, that sort mm-hmm. of 
team that's got nothing going for it and someone comes through to save the day but it's more there's more to it there's layers for sure apple tv doesn't have much on there yet but what they do have i I really enjoyed the the morning show i don't know if you've seen that uh no i haven't what's the morning show so the morning show is is very it's a i think one of their one of their first shows but it's almost a meta commentary of uh what happened during the me too movement on nbc is it nbc where matt lauer worked Oh, okay, gotcha. So it's it's not those characters, but you can you can see the parallels. Like he's mm-hmm. he's clearly supposed to be that guy, and this anchor is supposed to be, and you and so it's drawing from real life without it being a biopic, but it's very oh, very interesting seeing the other side of that world, and mm-hmm. even within the the offenders trying to understand all of like the the levels of indiscretions and this and that but also ah i see but also a a uh, let's say for instance a matt lauer type of offender who mm-hmm. may have known a harvey weinstein in his time but not realizing ah. that okay what i do is not what you do you know you, yeah uh, matt lauer is is, is a douchebag but he's not harvey weinstein so oh. you're now getting into the nuances and of of all of that of the victims mm-hmm. of the offense so it was a very very interesting television show that my, when i watched it with my wife we would pause it and have these conversations of the woman's perspective and and how i'm interpreting interpreting it but we kind of do that with everything so uh, I don't know if, if, but I think Morning Show definitely lends itself to that a lot more because it's rooted in the real world. I, I'll definitely watch that because coincidentally, just last night again, uh, you know, when when YouTube is just playing video after video, like uh, uh, you just sort of let it play in the background. And then it just so happened, I don't know why, uh, however the algorithm works, it just clicked from video to video and then it it seemed to me out of the blue because I'm mostly listening to sort of uh, comic book type stuff and cultures type stuff, but it clicked over to a TED talk. Uh, and, and again, I, I don't remember any of the details because I was doing other things, but uh, the, the premise being, uh, and this is how it relates to, to what you've been saying, it was a TED talk with a, an award an award-winning filmmaker who's best known for feminist documentaries. And she opted... Uh, to do a documentary on the men's rights movement and went in there, uh, not so much to do a hit piece, but she did want to expose them. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing sort of the, the finger quotes. And, uh, and then in doing this, this documentary and actually hearing and listening to the uh, dozens and dozens of uh, MRAs that uh, she, she had conversations with, she grew to sort of understand the other side and, and understand the new, like, like you're saying, the nuances of their movement to the point where, you know, as, as a quote unquote feminist filmmaker, uh, she debuted this documentary and had uh, a fellow feminist picket it because uh, the, this documentary didn't necessarily make the MRAs uh, look terrible. They looked human. Uh, and there, and there were, and she did spotlight some of the good points they were trying to make, and a lot of it uh, 
uh, felt like it wasn't, again, I, I don't know much about the MRA movement other than, uh, you know, your usual, you're kind of like the, the, the way it's sort of the media or, yeah. or the soundbite sort of yeah. vilify them. And yeah. it was fascinating to see from the ground. So she basically, I think her TED talk was something along the lines of how I, uh, uh, you know, hung out with the enemy and, and found understanding instead. So, uh, I think this, this does completely relate to, to what coincidentally to what you're uh, talking about in, in this morning show. So, yeah. And it's got a great cast and great performances. It was, I think, produced by Jennifer Aniston and Renee Witherspoon, who play, oh, wow. who play somewhat of a mentor apprentice uh, role in regards to the, you know, the lead anchor and the up and coming anchor who's there to replace her. So there's that mm-hmm. sense of politics and competition between them. Uh, Steve Carell plays the Matt Lauer-esque character. And uh, it's so well done. I was very, very impressed with it. I was hoping they would come with a second season because of the quality of it. I, I don't know how much of uh, you know the pandemic and everything affected schedules, but it, it was a, a really good study piece of a culture that we know of and we hear tabloid versions of that how close and how far off the market is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now you're saying with Ted Lasso, it just, it's good product. It's really, it's, it's hard, um, to, we complain sometimes, ah, there's nothing good on. There's just <laughs> too much. There's just too much. Yeah. You want to watch the best thing or, or the thing that hits that emotion you've got in the moment because mm-hmm. there's something to feed them all. So yeah. we, it's, it's, it's nice to have a, a wealth of good entertainment. Um, speaking Well, of, I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing what. When, once uh, you watch all of it, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely. We could definitely talk about it after. That'd be great. Um, and it did actually just occur to me another show that had sort of feel good feeling for me, uh, Queen's Gambit. So I'll, yes. I'll recommend that as well. Yes, yes. I, I think I spoke. Ab- I don't know if I spoke about it with you on the show, or or I, I felt like I've spoken about it, but I I had said that I it made me. Oh, hi, Shane. Shane Heron. Is making a quick appearance. You guys can see he, him on camera. He brought camera. me shepherd's pie, vegan shepherd's pie. So oh. it is nice to have a, an awesome studio mate. I am jealous. I am very jealous pie. of you guys. I, well, once this lockdown is over, come on down, and I'm sure Shane will. Uh, we can we can sit in our our little lounge here and have uh, vegan shepherd pie together. Yeah, I always I haven't said this to anybody yet, but I always had in my imagination that i would be the the raid studio podcast guy like i wanted to (laughs) slowly become known as that guy but i'm working on it (laughs) once once everything opens up again i might be sneaking in more often than not to podcast with you in person sam and shane and have some of this this shepherd's pie dude oh my god it's so good i'm sorry I don't mean to be talking with my mouth full, but sometimes <laughs> well, better to eat this while it's hot, eh? Abso- absolutely. Uh, if anybody hears any clicking or noise in the background, that's because my dog, Kobe, is chewing on a bone while we record right next to us. <laughs> so if you're distracted by that, that's, uh, that's what it is. Um, speaking of, of uh, television shows, what are your thoughts on – I got two shows I want to ask you about. But, but first and foremost, WandaVision, the first Marvel MCU related show to, to debut on Disney. It's very, uh, it's 
completely unpredictable. I don't even know what to, to say about it. What say you? Uh, coincidentally, I, I uh, with with uh, uh, my friend Jason uh, because he hadn't seen it yet. So we just watched rewatched the first two episodes, and uh, I still really enjoyed it. And again, I know it's not for everyone, but I feel like I'm kind of in some ways the target audience. I was a latchkey kid who uh, mm-hmm. grew up basically watching sitcom reruns after school. Right. And uh, yeah, a lot of people just want the Marvel content, but I think there's a lot of value in them going off and just doing a very loving homage to the sitcoms of the past. And, and it's uh, quite effective actually to contrast the uh, weirdness and the drama going on with um, these sitcom tropes. So yeah, I'm all in, I'm all in. I've been, I've been really, really quite enjoying it. Have you watched all three episodes released so far? Yeah. Yeah. I've watched all three. I didn't get the. I, I knew exactly what they were um, referencing, but I didn't know in detail which show to pick it from. Mm-hmm. But I knew that they were doing uh, a bewitched, a little take on the, the in the bewitched. second one. Yeah. yeah, in the second one, I didn't know the Dick Van Dyke show as much, but I oh, definitely. Oh, I watched that. Yeah, so I. And I love Lucy in the first one. Yes, Dick Van Dyke. Yes, there were all these little, uh, that, and that was the thing. They blended them all in this way that if you knew them, you could catch it. But if you mm-hmm. grew up with it peripherally, like I, I remember I Love Lucy, but I never really sat to, to binge I Love Lucy. I just, when it was on, I would catch it. I knew what it was sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so you could recognize uh, all of those little moments. But it's what dawns on you if you know that what you're watching is not what you're watching. You start mm-hmm. to interpret even the humor and the, uh, the little, uh, I don't know what, what, how to describe them, but these little clues that they're throwing at you. Like that was something Absolutely. more than the joke. And you really see how... The subtext. There's a huge subtext going yeah, on there. Yeah, exactly. So when you watch it with that in mind, you, you can... I was enjoying it on three different levels it felt like there was the nostalgia then the humor related to like yeah that would work as a as a tv show (laughs) like i i could i remember that type of thing that was what tv was like was a couple like that who were up to shenanigans and the whole joke was them hiding it every week Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there was the subtext where you know that this is mind games or you know that there's manipulation what could it be and as a Marvel mm-hmm. fan, if you've just read a, a, just a little bit of the Avengers, you know that they could be in Wanda's mind or they could be a Hydra uh, plot. Like it could be anything. And mm-hmm. you're really, you're listening to all these little, like what sets Wanda off? What, what makes Vision get really agitated? It's mm-hmm. genius, but I don't know what to think of it yet. Yeah, this will be interesting. And actually, I kind of think it works on a weekly basis. Often, I'm kind of very frustrated that I can't binge something. But I think it it helps you enjoy it better, especially because it is very uniquely uh, TV show format. It's very much a sitcom format. So playing with that weekly form of release uh, makes it very unique. It's not, as, as they keep saying, it's not something that they can do in a movie. You know, and they can let it breathe and let the the drama play out and tease you a little bit and allow folks in almost 
it's weird, almost in like a Twin Peaks kind of manner, uh, mm. allows the audience to sit there and try to decipher, you know, uh, uh, what's going on in terms of the metaphor or uh, the, the clues or, or what the, you know, uh, creators are, are intending you to think. It's, uh, it's so well done and so well written as so even you would think that they borrowed um, dialogue from one of those shows from back in the day because it just it's so, seems so cliche when they speak. But even in the commercials in how they throw in these very misogynistic and appropriate viewpoint as the times change, each decade you kind of see a, just a slight change in language or the viewpoint of, of the, the sexes of that time and how it relates to the story they're also tell, telling is uh, such a, a, a tightrope walk that really mm-hmm. takes skill to, to maneuver, to make it funny, to make it uh, make you feel happy watching it, but also make you feel a little scared. And mm. unsure of what you're watching. Perfect. Yeah, it's but perfect. even that odd kind of sexism, they're kind of playing with the contemporary audience. I think uh, they they helped. Uh, what was it uh, when Wanda? Uh, I guess we're in spoiler territory, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's uh, obviously, Wanda is playing the magician's assistant in in episode two, and she's got sort of the uh, for the time for the 1960s or whatever re- relatively uh, skimpy outfit. But they sort of make the joke that oh, Vision, this is going to be your outfit, you know. Mm. So there is a, a lot of uh, awareness. I think there is a constant like winking at the audience, right? That, uh, yeah, we know. Uh, these are the tropes and we're very much aware from it and we know you're in on the joke right yeah like it's 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 done in such a way where it's aware of it's uh the joke that they're telling you but here's what it was like and it's it's yeah you're right it's that wink in the gun done in, in such a subtle way that it's not oversold if, that, mm-hmm. if that's the right way to put it, yeah, I'm. I'm. I think that once it's finished, it'll be one you want to watch right away. Yeah, because it'll all kind of connect and mean something different on a rewatch. I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's might what might happen. Yeah, and can I share with you, based on a on a potential spoiler for the episode that's. Uh, coming tomorrow, would you rather wait to uh, talk about that? Because I've heard a potential spoiler, but I kind of want to talk about it in the context of the bigger MCU domino effect. And I'm I'd love to talk about the domino effect. Uh, okay, I, I think this will probably be posted by Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't know how much we're really going to ruin it for anybody if we're right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So go for it. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the rumor is, and, and you know, I've chit-chatted online with a, a few friends about this. Essentially, uh, everyone's sort of wondering about Quicksilver. There's a lot of theories about Quicksilver showing up. And uh, the main rumor, I think, is that I think I believe his name is Evan Peters is going to be guest starring in episode four, the, the episode that drops tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And... Evan Peters plays Quicksilver, but not the MCU Quicksilver. Right. He plays the X-Men uh, Fox franchise version of Quicksilver. So yes. uh, you have to start to wonder. And, and so here's sort of my theory, knowing 
some of the casting choices that have been made in, in some of the, the movies that they announced. Uh, my, my thinking, and you've seen the Loki trailer as well, right? Oh, yeah. So my, my theory is Wanda has broken, let's say, reality. She's broken reality. Loki has broken time. And so basically, you know, time and space are, are broken, uh, with hence this Quicksilver uh, crossing over from the X-Men universe, uh, which dominoes into <laughs> Spider-Man 3, where they've announced the casting of Jamie Foxx as Electro. Like, that's the fact, right? They've announced yeah. it. Not and yet. Alfred Molino as Dr. Octopus. So all these <laughs> other... Uh, and they're doing the Sinister Six. That's what I'm thinking. Like, this is their way of saying, you know what? You've been invested in, in 20 years now for these movies. And rather than us continue to reintroduce the Green Goblin, we'll just take all the characters that you already know. And uh, here's Peter Parker fighting uh, the multiversal Sinister Six. I, everything you're saying right now is is putting such a big grin on my face. I'm, it makes me so happy that I understand what you're saying and that we live in a world where the multiverse will collide. And I, like as you're speaking and saying everything about how how they'll make it make sense with mm-hmm. reality and time. I, first of all, I love that stuff. That's my that's yeah. that's the stuff I live for. But then to you've told how they're going to make the sinister, the sinister six. Well, this is again, a theory, right? This it's, is just it, fan it, it, it's a great fan theory, but w- seeing that all of these things are possible, like what our minds are going to explode. Mm-hmm. Could, like, could you ever have imagined living in a time <laughs> where you'll have a, a literal spider verse on screen? That's, yeah, that's no, awesome. for sure. I'll- at first, we get this animated one, which was amazing. Now, a potential live-action one. And not only that, uh, think about this. Uh, here's the other puzzle piece. Uh, <laughs> Sam Raimi is now directing Doctor Strange 2, the multiverse of madness, where this is all headed towards, co-starring Scarlet Witch. So does this mean Sam Raimi might get to play with some of his old Spider-Man toys, like Tobey Maguire and Alfred Molina? Uh, does, does this, you know... Uh, it, who knows? You know, the, the, the multiverse is spilled out and you've got one of the architects of that original uh, uh, Marvel film franchise, you know, one of the very first true Marvel film franchises uh, is in the MCU uh, with uh, these characters that have been, been cast, you know? It's wild. It when, is. When you... I, I've got an... Oh, go on. No, no, go ahead. Keep going. Okay, so so here's my theory from there because I'm I'm just you know again I'm nerding out I'm totally. I wish I out. could have you talking in my head while I'm at work it it get me through the day it was so much fun go ahead. Uh, you, have you read the uh, what was it the uh, Jonathan Hickman's run on the Avengers which yes. led up to okay so Secret Wars. now that we have yeah now that we have the uh, uh, multiverse uh, my thought is that. Uh, Wait, does this mean Doctor Strange will form the Illuminati? Huh. You know, the secret uh, group of uh, heroes that absolutely. You know, uh, and will they start experiencing the incursions from other multiverses colliding with ours and need to prevent it? So, is this the next Avengers movie? Will the next Avengers movie be the Illuminati, which will lead to secret wars? Uh, you know, Avengers. Let's, let's call it uh, Avengers Six. 
secret war. It's like Jonathan Hickman's war. So I feel as you said all of that with you, and then the incursions. I just yeah. I felt like fainting. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, it's limitless now that they now that they. I was this was how I was thinking about it. Mm-hmm. In my simple mind, because I'm a moron, and and everything you said <laughs> sounds so much better. I was well, I'm just thinking, trying to predict Marvel Phase Five. That's all. Yeah, but it's a great prediction. See, for me, I was thinking now that they've they've told their Avengers story on film in such in such a glorious fashion that you could have never imagined. You'd go to these places where you, you're fighting Ego the Planet. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. Now that they've taken over Fox and they've got the rights or whatnot, let's do this with the X-Men. Let's, let's mm-hmm. build that uh, franchise or with the Fantastic Four. Like, let's, let's, let's go into undiscovered territories. But then mm-hmm. to see them, uh, Eternals and Shang-Chi and oh, yeah. uh, the, the things that they were announcing all still built out of everything that's already happened. Not to say that they needed to, they needed to close the Marvel universe and, mm-hmm. and, you know, restart it. Not to say that, but to know that they're, they're going to introduce all of those things on top of this. It's absolutely, I can't, I, I can't and keep up with it. You've got a character with reality warping powers. So uh, rather than, you know, at the end of, of uh, this little arc that she's experiencing, rather than, no more mutants. This could very well be let there be mutants oh. as a result for meddling with reality, <laughs> right? And, and and oh, can I can I throw in something? I know I'm yes. inundating you with the, no, 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 the, more, know, more, 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 uh, more uh, fan service. No, uh, so Chris Evans has uh, apparently been negotiating or have has been signed back on, and you know a lot of us are well, well, Captain America. You know he he had his arc, but here was my first thought when I heard that. It's like, Hydra what if Cap? he's coming back and one of his appearances is as Johnny Storm? <laughs> uh, again, I'm just completely doing fan service. No, here. no, no, no. Because he's signing up for X amount of appearances. He could be, you know, just popping in to Multiverse no. of Madness. Yeah, no, he could. No, he, no, no. I, th- that's genius. That's genius. I mean, it's obvious, but it's. I'm thinking to myself, he could come back and be Hydra Cap, or he, you know, he, oh, yeah. you know, he could uh, in one of one of the realities, he's the villain this time around. Oh, absolutely. I'm yeah, thinking yeah. simple. Again, you bringing up Fantastic Four, all of these things that I would just lose it, and I and and what's sad is, a lot of people would get it, the people who followed the franchise, but. F- some people would why why is that such a big deal to you why does that mean so much and when you when you have that appreciation for the 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 medium it's like yeah. you don't understand how geeky this is <laughs> <laughs> to have the the comic book stories come to life in such a like if you had told me like you know when i was a kid that we would be seeing the marvel universe in this way and and everyone would know all these like technically iron man is a b or c list character when you were a kid growing up right and now he's like yeah you know what i loved as a kid 
I love Rocket Raccoon. I bought that Mike Mignola, uh, Bill Mantlo uh, uh, four-issue miniseries, and I love this character. And when when if if you had told me as a kid that he'd be like some fan favorite character that would be on so much merchandise, and I could buy like you know plushies and little action figures and you know vinyl bobbleheads, it's crazy. It's it's really unbelievable, and as normal as it is. Um, for that to be the case, I never thought you would ever get a true superhero movie ever again, like Superman, the movie, where it was unabashedly red, blue, and yellow Superman out of the comic book page, the way Christopher Reeves played it. Because mm-hmm. because there was this shame or embarrassment of the kitty nature of what what was perceived to be in in these books, right? And when Absolutely. you finally got uh, Spider Man, it was like wow, they made it really they they really made it Spider Man, and that was so exciting mm-hmm. when you get to see just the fact that there was you know X Men movies that were paying homage to comic book stories in some way like this that this was becoming a thing but then when they when they get to a place like guardians of the galaxy and they are unashamedly having a raccoon speak and you see (laughs) thanos you know you you see these you okay Sorry, folks, you can't see. I just want to make sure Sam's not choking. He's oh, fine. yeah, no, We're sorry. Good. I'm just, just <laughs> chuckling. I, no, I'm not having a good time, and I, I uh, the shepherd's pie went down. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. It's okay. You no, know, you, you, you see them. Uh, I, I think for me, when it, it really hit me was, was two moments. One, when you see the Avengers uh, movie, and there's that shot in by Grand Central Station where they pan, you know, they go around and you see what the, mm-hmm. the and like. Wow, they made them the Avengers. There's they're not having to mute their colors. They're not having to be embarrassed that Thor is there with a helmet or his hammer swinging. That sounds Captain America's wearing freaking spandex, you know. Yeah. After the X Men showed up in leather leather outfits. Yeah, exactly. It's like they they're that's what it is. And then when they brought Vision in, and I said. There's a, a, a character that is green and pink with a yellow cape, and we think it's <laughs> normal. When for mm-hmm. so many years they had to mute Superman's colors or, or make Batman's suit, uh, you know, make sense. Armor. It's armor. Yeah. It's not spent. It had to always be, yeah, there always had to be an explanation as to why he wears, like, ugh. Look, it's like, there's an android flying. Amazing. <laughs> And I just, I said, this is it. This is, uh, it's never going to get better than this. Now, why can't DC quite get it together? You know, we've had some pretty good ones. You know, Wonder Woman and Aquaman were quite surprising. But uh, did you, did you see Wonder Woman 1984? I haven't because one, um, I'm not accustomed yet to paying $30 to rent for a one mm-hmm. viewing sort of thing, but it's totally normal because I would spend that money to go to the theater. So it's, mm-hmm. I totally get it. It's just, I got to make my mind over about it. Uh, not, not uh, to be honest, I wouldn't recommend it. It, it is, it is dumb as, it is dumb as bricks. It, it uh, for all <laughs> the, the glory that they managed to, to milk out of that, that first one, it's, it's hard to believe 
uh, totally uh, that they they messed this one up so bad because I was so excited to go see this, like everything from the '80s setting to the. But uh, yeah, without giving it too too much away, the the internal logic of the film just sort of collapses in on itself. And I get what they're doing. And again, here's what we were talking about. They were looking for a very positive ending where the answer is love and understanding and that maybe there's not really a villain. There's just someone who, who has wants and needs and uh, has to be shown the, the way to, to, you know, uh, become a better person, shall we say. But uh, it ultimately it kind of uh, fell flat in the execution. I appreciate what they were going to do. I appreciate the fact that it wasn't going to be a big CG bad guy. You know, right. And you've you've got a great cast: Kristen Wiig and and Pedro Pascal with the Mandalorian, and uh, yeah, they're kind of playing caricature essentially. You know, I don't get it, and it. I don't know if you would understand uh, this statement, but I love Jeff Johns comics. Probably, Absolutely, yes. Probably my my. On any given day, my favorite writer, if I had to pick one. Mm-hmm. If someone said, one person's writing, those are the books you take with you, and that's it. I might go with him. Easy pick for me. Yeah. So for, I really for, like... For modern, for modern, like straight up uh, in, inspirational superheroes, like old school classic superheroes, he's the guy. Yes. Yes. I think Undoubtedly. so. Um, and it's, so it's fun. But then whatever he has his name attached to in film... I do not like at all. Yeah, it's surprising. He co-wrote this with director Patty Jenkins. And again, you kind of see what he's going for, but it, it misses the mark so so badly. And you know if he had done this as a comic, for example, with an a, one of the A-list artists, he probably would have uh, uh, convinced us, shall we say. And, and so with that in mind... It makes me say to myself, because the Aquaman movie, I didn't care for. Oh, okay. It was entertaining. I get why people liked it, but I felt it was, you know, very, it just felt like bad costume, very cheesy, um, uh, like lines and dialogue. I was just like, oh, come on, right? And I I, I actually liked it, but uh, for me, it was a pleasant surprise. I was going in with such low expectations. Yeah. And and so I went in with kind of mixed expectations because what I really wanted was for, for and for me and I know for other people it did but I just in my own head I wanted it to really validate how kick ass Aquaman is like they should have been brave enough to start the the DC movie franchise with him or with Wonder Woman like show them how mm-hmm. good you are and then it was like oh this is like uh, watching you know Brendan Fraser the Mummy. <laughs> kind of felt like at times, and and probably watching it again now at home, I would appreciate it for for what it was meant to be, as opposed to what I expected it to be, which sometimes is is how you need to appreciate it. Um, but so you're not a fan of Brendan Fraser the Mummy either, eh? I, I did. I liked that movie quite a bit when Goofy I would, fun to me. I, yeah, no, I I liked that movie quite the a bit. The first one, shall we say? The the by the second and third one it kind of falls apart. But. Yeah, the first and second I I liked quite a bit. It reminded me of uh Indiana Jones but with a little bit more on the nose humor and I liked it a lot. <laughs> uh but getting back to to Aquaman, I really liked 
Jeff Johns Aquaman run. I enjoyed it. Oh, absolutely. Thoroughly. And the movie is almost the comic brought to life in a lot yeah, of ways. This, absolutely. And, and it made me say, do I do I just not know why I don't like the movie or do I not really like his comics either? It kind of makes me feel that way when his Well, it's the execution, right? And then the medium. Yeah. So he's very adept at the medium of comics and he works with you know, the greatest talents in the industry. He's elevated himself to the point where he can get, uh, and yet filmmaking is sort of more of a collaborative element and maybe, uh, you know, having more than one or two collaborators, uh, uh, you know, dilutes that, that vision. I don't know. Story-wise, you're absolutely right. We have the trench. We have a lot of the, the cool Black Manta stuff. His brother, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's all there. The, the different there. kingdoms they've introduced. And, yeah. And yet, no, no, keep it, going. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I'm, I'm with you. Although, have you seen Stargirl? Stargirl is actually delightful. So I will. So maybe it doesn't work in the movies because it's just too big and unruly, and it gets out of his control. But on the small screen, I feel like Stargirl has really worked. Yeah, I got. I would give. I would give things a chance. I tried giving Titans a chance, and after the first episode, I just. I said, "This is." I've read Jeff Johns' Titans, and I know. Mm -hmm. I know how dark the Teen Titans can get, but it does. Mm -hmm. It does have a certain. Um, 80s brightness to it as well and I just oh, felt like that was so uh, trying to be Watchmen-esque and I was like well this isn't the Titans this is not doing it for me and his name I know how much involved he was because I think that's when he was uh, in Toronto when we when we met him at uh, Gotham at Central the Doom, yeah Doom's the Doomsday Clock signing he yeah. was in Toronto executive producing the Titans and even the lighter characters like you'd think uh, a character like Beast Boy who does sort of bring a lighter tone to it uh, but uh, yeah not quite eh I, did did you like it uh, Teen Ti Titans yeah uh, I I like Titans but it doesn't stick out in my mind too much because we're spoiled right this is the thing we're spoiled so I watch it I enjoy it I immediately forget about it but on the flip side I love Doom Patrol I think uh, Doom Patrol is wonderful because it's sort of uh, I never expected to see Grant Morrison and Richard Case's Doom Patrol come to life and and to me that's delightful okay I avoided doom patrol i didn't even try it because i thought i this is the one area of dc that i know is can get that's more an esoteric book because of absolutely where, where you know grant morrison took it i go so if i don't have that as reference i might not really appreciate what this show is meant to be so i that's didn't fair. but but i but i have the doom patrol omnibus it's on my reading list in, in the in the top three of what to read next so I want to ask you this question. Should, sure. I, should I do Doom Patrol by Graham Morrison? Um, I, in the back behind me, I've got the Green Arrow by Mike Grell on the oh. bus. Uh, or I was maybe going to uh, start The Flash from Jeff Johns, Volume 1. Oh, this is tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a tough call. Uh, well, I know you're not it as into uh, Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison is more hit and miss for you, right? I'm enjoying him more now than I did. Mm -hmm. I've had I was hit and miss in the beginning, and then, in terms of the weirdness for weirdness' sake, right? Um, yeah, more in the sense. Even I was reading his Batman at the time, and I had mentioned. I just mentioned this in the last episode. 
but it got to a point in his Batman when you get to R.I.P. when I was at the time reading didn't appreciate who Grant Morrison was as a writer and where he can take things. So it mm-hmm. t- totally took me out of it. It was a, it got a little too weird, and I'm like, I, I felt not smart enough reading it. But I loved All-Star Superman, um, and then I went back and read his Batman and enjoyed it a lot more. So I've, I've, I even appreciate Final Crisis. Well, the first time I read Final Crisis, I said, I do not know what is going on. So as mm-hmm. I age and I think about things a little differently i appreciate grant morrison and neil gaiman and those writers on a different level now so Mm -hmm. doom patrol appeals to me in a much different way gotcha uh for grant morrison i like his batman but i don't think it's as challenging as a lot of his other stuff and for me the highlight of his batman run is actually uh uh when dick grayson and uh, Damien take over as the Batman Robin team, and I think uh, Quitely's the artist for that run, uh, for a good chunk of that run, right? I think the, Am I remembering the that correctly? I think the first arc Quietly was definitely the artist on that run. Yeah, yeah. So that's a Batman and Robin team we hadn't seen before uh, in terms of a, a happy, uh, uh, you know, a positive Batman, and then you've got the grim and gritty Robins, and and they have the flying car and everything. So I I quite enjoyed the novelty of that, but in terms of you know you lay out the work of Grant Morrison in front of me. Um, yeah, I think he's, he's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I enjoy it at the time, but again, I, I probably need to reread it because other than the, uh, Dick and Damien stuff, it doesn't quite stick out in my mind. A lot of it, um, of those three, oh, this is really tough. Cause, cause again, uh, of those three, I'd say Doom Patrol is my favorite, but it does really go into esoteric areas. The TV show for me, um, a lot of the weird, quirky humor is what sort of sells it. I like to laugh when, uh, you know, the, tra- the I, I like the, the whole spectrum. So there's a lot of, like, tragedy and pathos in Doom Patrol because they're all very damaged characters. But at the same time, there's a lot of sort of dark humor and quirky humor. Um, knowing you, I'd say, have you read Jeff John's Flash before? I've read uh, a good chunk of it i'd be i'd oh, be rereading okay. this but it would probably feel like the first time because it's been a yeah, while yeah yeah i think for pure enjoyment especially lockdown enjoyment just because uh yeah it it we, we've talked about you know what kind of mood are you in and i think uh a sort of bright positive superhero like flash uh would probably be the now is this wally west run that you're going to start with yeah 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 okay definitely the wally west run that his wally west run is great i as much as you know i did like his barry allen run but for me it was uh uh yeah it didn't hold a candle uh, to wally west so i'm gonna choose for you uh yeah jeff john's flash um at some point you should uh, check out doom patrol and you should check out mike brow's green arrow because that's kind of a, a classic in its own way and i would love to talk to you about i you know any and all of these at some point just to sort of get your your opinion yeah no i i, I i'd love to it'd be great I, I look forward to reading weird stuff now like doom patrol or things that uh, i just kind of shrugged my shoulder to only because um 
I felt there's only so much I could read. There's only so much I could buy. And I want to, you're into the things you're into at the time. So instead of being uh, adventurous and trying these new sort of must read series and, and heralded uh, runs of, of these writers, I was just like, meh, whatever. Mm -hmm. But now I'm, I'm much more interested in, in reading those. I maybe because of the lockdown time, I, I, um, being able to sit with a heavy book hasn't been an impractical uh, thing to do. So when mm-hmm. you get into these stories, that that's what I like about it now is I can really read a chunk of it and get the ho- whole uh, spectrum of what the, the, the run was meant to be. Because you, when mm-hmm. you read sometimes in trades, you can be like, well, now those five issues, not really interested anymore. Yeah. That or even monthly, you sort of lose the threads because you, yeah. you read it one month and then you forget everything that happened the next month, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, you get through sometimes the the weaker or uh, maybe the, the slow moments in an omnibus differently. It's just kind mm-hmm. of a, that long form reading that it's just a, it's just a chapter. We're getting through this. We, yeah. We're doing this to get to this. Whereas monthly, uh, it just doesn't always pan out that way. So. And it actually didn't occur to me, but uh, at the time Doom Patrol was originally coming out, I was, uh, you know, uh, in terms of my art education, I was very much immersed in all the stuff that they're kind of playing with in Doom Patrol in terms of uh, modernism, postmodernism, absurdism, you know, basically 20th century art movements is a lot of what he's um having fun with and almost like having a gentle poke out in Doom Patrol. So I think a great deal of it is that I, I do sort of have a certain uh, uh, art education where, where I get all the references. You know, there's one character that's essentially, you know, I mean, uh, the Brotherhood, uh, you know who the Brotherhood of Evil are, right? Basically the Doom Patrol's arch enemy. Yes. And they sort of turn it on its ear and they become the Brotherhood of Dada which is an absurdist uh, uh, French uh, art movement. So you do have a character with like a freaking bicycle wheel, you know, strapped to him and, and, and that kind of thing. So uh, part of me is that sort of subversive glee, but, but this was at the time, it was like a fresh breath of air, a breath of fresh air, right? So uh, it would be interesting to revisit. Again, I probably haven't revisited Doom Patrol in quite some time, so... Yeah, it would read quite well in omnibus form. I don't even think I I had ever read the entire chunk all at once. Okay, how do you how do you normally take in uh, the comics that you read? Because I know you read weekly, and I know you read uh, you read in all formats. But what is your preferred sort of way to to take it in? Um, it's it's kind of different because there's different joys and and for things that I are probably a little bit of a, of a more casual read or things that uh, uh, are a little more visceral, you know? Uh, yeah, my monthly reads currently are Immortal Hulk, uh, Rorschach I'm really enjoying, um, Chu, uh, the new sort of uh, CHU, which is the spinoff uh, series of CHEW. A lot of those are sort of on my must read this but uh for the most part i don't think there's anything that like i'll I'll casually read a lot of of superhero stuff but then for something like image stuff i think i 
for the most part, I prefer to read those in chunks. So yeah, I'll wait for them to sort of build up a chunk of story. In particular, my favorite uh, creative team currently is uh, Ed Brubaker and uh, uh, Sean Phillips uh, doing their sort of crime, war, underbelly kind of kind of uh, comics. So I'm actually happy that they've uh, gone from monthly format a serialized format to these graphic novellas. So we get 60 to 80 page chunks at a time. And so I'm currently reading uh, Reckless. And for me, uh, that first lockdown was perfect. I got to go and and there were so many uh, Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips series that I had sort of started reading on a monthly basis and sort of petered off where I had read one trade paperback. And yeah, all his work is ideally read sort of in, in enormous chunks. So uh, yeah, it, it all depends on on what it is. My reading habits are kind of all over the place, to be honest. You know, what I what I read sort of uh, before bedtime, you know, just to help me fall asleep is different than what I might want to read on the transit. Or, you know, uh, if I have 10 minutes, what I'll read is different than knowing I have sort of an hour to, to read something or two hours or I can spend the afternoon reading something. So... Yeah, it's, it's really tough to say. And, and uh, this is as someone who, who tends to read a lot of comics these days, uh, especially after lockdown and especially reading a lot of comics. I'm back into the making comics mode, so I read a lot less. But I don't know. I, I don't know if you remember. There was even one point during lockdown where I think I was like reviewing one comic on my social media like every single day just as a habit. And that was uh, how I started off my day just... Uh, as a writer, so uh, just to warm up the creative juices, I would think about a comic that I had read and just do a quick capsule review, and then that just flowed into my own uh, original characters and original writing. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if that answered your question. I kind of meandered. With it. No, no, no. I like where you took it because I always I'm always interested in how uh, people such as yourself during this time keep those you know, creative juices flowing because I, I, I was talking to Ricky Lima and he had mentioned that it, he felt a little bit, um, uh, what's the word? Not snake bit, but he had the writer's block a little bit uh. trying to get inspired. And then I heard a podcast with Neil Gaiman saying that he was finding it very difficult to, to be inspired and feel creative. Uh, when he, you're so much more, he goes, we're already doing a, a job, on our own writing in a writing room we're in our minds Mm -hmm. but we as writers we need to kind of go out there and see the world we need to see motion we need to see sometimes uh people moving and and life Mm -hmm. occurring and when you don't get that um he said it's i'm finding it my creativity stagnant i think i've observing human behavior yeah yeah exactly and i think i i overstated his his comment but i'm like okay so there's something to keep some people are just naturally they got it pouring out of them but then there's people who mm-hmm. um need almost the right temperature in the air and all of a sudden the inspiration comes so i'm always interested to see how creative people cope in different ways so to hear you having you know wake up every morning and, and writing your review that that is uh it's therapeutic but it, it is a great little exercise it's almost doing like your push-ups before you go for a jog or something 
it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because it really hit me in a profound way. Uh, I think it was a panel with Brian Azzarello at one of these Toronto Comic Cons where he said, uh, you know, writing is a muscle. You got to do it every day. I'm paraphrasing. But I, I kind of feel that way. And to be honest, I've never had writer's block. I've got so many projects on the go with so many, uh, uh, and I'm very much about the collaborative process, right? So I'll never start a project without necessarily without knowing sort of who's attached as the artist and having these conversations. So uh, there is an element of, of spitballing it, but I'm finding I have so many projects and just not the time and often, you know, the stuff like... Uh, the, the admin stuff or, or running a Kickstarter campaign or, uh, uh, you know, doing, doing production or lettering or whatever. Unfortunately, that, well, lettering is different because if it's lettering my stuff, that's still writing to me because I always do rewrites. But uh, I'm, I'm probably, I, I can't relate to writer's block, to be honest. I, I just, uh, often it's just that it's, it's less about being blocked and more about, uh, okay, I'm going to carve out the time. I'm going to sit here for half an hour so I can capture all these thoughts. So, uh, yeah, I'm constantly, I've got notes all over the place. And uh, here's what I do experience. This is, this, I, and I don't know if other people uh, experience this, but uh, the thing I should be writing is often not the thing I end up writing. So if I'm under a deadline or if uh, someone is waiting for pages, unfortunately, an artist is waiting for pages, I'll sit down to start that and I'll have notes and I'll have a direction to go, but then suddenly my brain goes into a completely other project and I'll have to switch gears. And that's the project that I end up uh, writing for the day, for example. So it, it uh, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to describe the, the the process of not having writer's block, but at the same time, uh, uh, you. For me, you got to go where where the current inspiration is is taking you. You know where the fire is, where the passion is. Yeah. You know, and uh, even having the I had one of the artists here today. And part of it is just sitting across from each other and, you know, he's handing me designs and pages and stuff. So there's a real back and forth. And then I'm sort of saying, oh, hey, uh, I'm about to do something really bad, which is an enormous crowd scene, like a, a giant, you know, uh, protest scene like we've seen on the news the past year in Times Square. Do you hate me? And so we sort of have a quick talk about it in terms of how this fits in the story and how it's necessary. And and the great thing is, you know, if you have a collaborator that says, no, that's definitely part of the story. Like you could set it in Washington Square and we could shoot it like we could. Uh, uh, I, I'm doing hand gestures for our audience at home, but you could uh, frame it up as a medium shot so that it looks like, you know, there's a crowd there. But to, you know, have the full bird's eye view of Times Square to show you the scope of this, which is sort of set in the end times of, uh, let's say, Revelations or even uh, Ragnarok, um, is important. So, so there was some comfort in that, in that, uh, whereas I would have pulled back had I not had the artist's full uh, cooperation to say, no, we need to do this. So that's partly how the creative process works for me. Yeah, it's. I think it's. It's uh, what it really all comes down to for whether it's uh, an over flooding of inspiration of what it feels like or a lack thereof. I think when you're a creative person, it's a matter of harnessing it and and knowing mm -hmm. knowing where to grab it and where to put it 
as opposed to just maybe not have because sometimes you you like you said today or just right now you might be here thinking that i I got this to do this to do but for some reason Mm -hmm. this is something else is calling you got to follow that you know it's true it's true if you have momentum in in one area and i think this is this helps in that, uh, you know, I work fairly, I, I know where all the artists are. I, I know where my deadlines are so I can work uh, ahead enough that I can switch gears and it doesn't cost me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sorry, just taking a sip of water, everybody. Oh, no, no worries. <laughs> it's all good. Um, what else have you been reading under lockdown, by the way? Uh, I've been getting my butt kicked by the Walt Simonson Thor uh, omnibus. Ah. Um, it's pure 80s gold. It's mm-hmm. uh, got a lot of text, beautiful art. Uh, it's. I know you've read it at some point. but Yes, um, but not for a number of years, probably a couple of decades now, the last time I, I actually went through it, but classic run. Yeah, and um, I, it's taken me longer to read than I thought it would, but I'm, I'm on the last two issues, so I should finish it tonight. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> and then I'm going to move on to the next one. But uh, I've, I read it. It was one of my first Thor reads just after the first or second movie came out. I got into reading Thor because I enjoyed the characters enough. Oh, wow. I, I, I enjoyed um, Asgard. So you got into it late, so I to did. speak. It wasn't yeah. a, like something you read in your childhood like no, I did. No, no. Um, most Marvel that I read in my childhood would have been Spider-Man related. Um, but I was, if I had to pick a, a, a side, it would have been DC as, as a child. So all my Marvel, uh, reading and, and, uh, attachment has really come in the last 10 years, 10 to 12 years of, of really diving deep into Marvel. So I'm very late to the, mm. to the Marvel show, but, um, the, this run of Thor getting back to that would probably be one of my favorite comic book runs period if i had to like pick five to keep on my shelf it just kind of uh it scratches all the itches of of the things that i like whether it's fantasy or just super straight superhero comics but also mythology and and uh you you know kind of that lord of the rings feel mixed Mm -hmm. with star wars it's got just a little bit of everything that i like no, absolutely. And it's super cheesy at times, almost to the <laughs> point where you feel, is he writing a comedy? Because when I when I read it like this, it's, <laughs> the it's frog, quite, the yeah, frog episode. Yeah, but but he's it still works. It's almost like what we were talking about with WandaVision. There's this mm-hmm. tightrope that they're walking of of taking these really ridiculous mythological characters that are quite cool when you when you see it through the lens of let's say a Jason Aaron run. Oh, absolutely. Right? And, like, these are the same yeah. characters, but all of the things that he builds in, in this, like, Beta Ray Bill, and it's just, it seems like the one the whole book is one big event. Mm-hmm. And it's been a lot of fun reading it. It's kept me, um, my imagination going, but it also makes you feel happy. It's that sort of that light feel, but it's old school comics where it takes you a good 20 minutes to finish an issue sometimes. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? Um, When did Frog Thor become a completely different character, like a separate character? Because in Simonson's run, you know, Thor himself became 
you know, the frog Thor, yet in, in current continuity, this frog Thor appears to be a completely separate character. I'm not sure. I know. Okay. There's, I guess I I'll kn- have to Google that up. I, I don't know if there, there was a Thor core war, right? In the 90s. Oh, that's right. With the future Thor and Thunderstrike and, uh, and was it Teen Thor? Like from the future? I can't remember. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I don't know if it's from, from that story. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I want to give credit to the Falco and Friends run, but mm-hmm. I don't know if that, if, if that showed up. You read the Jason Aaron run, right? Uh, I read the – was he in the Jason Aaron run? I, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't know why – I don't know why. Thor has just shown up. Uh, I don't know if you're following the current Donny Cates. Not Gates right now, right. no. Oh, okay. Well, Frog Thor has shown up, so yeah, I'm just wondering. I'm not sure. That's a great question. Okay. Uh, I recommend Donny Cates' run, actually. I, I thought Jason Aaron's would be tough to top, but he's come up with some really good twists. The first arc is huge. It's it's crazy. It's, it involves Galactus, oh, and then there's been a few, you know, interesting smaller arcs. And now there's one that specifically deals with Donald Blake. Okay. And sort of uh, where he goes when he's not Thor, and and them sort of treating them as separate characters. So uh, once you get to that, let's have that conversation because I'd be interested to hear your take on uh, on this because you're probably actually. Uh, you probably read more Thor comics than I have because I've read very specific runs, but okay. there's lots of uh, periods where I haven't read Thor. Oh, did you get to the uh, all splash page issue? Yes. Of uh, Waltz. Oh my God! An, masterpiece. It, Absolute masterpiece. Yeah, it, I, that and that was one where the it's like it. This whole story, he's he's literally told the story of Thor, where it's supposed to culminate with him. Fighting and dying, fighting the the, the Midgard the serpent. Midgard serpent, and uh, he's blended Norse mythology with Marvel mythology in such a genius way, paying respects to to you know the Kirby influence with the with his version of Kirby Crackle and and creating such new and weird ideas like Beta Ray Bill, and uh, just and and what's funny too is that at times the the ancillary characters are sometimes more of a main character than thor which is also that's true like so you it's it's the cover of the omnibus has thor and and um uh, balder the brave mm-hmm. who's a major character in this in this whole story so mm-hmm. it's uh it's and a, even had his own spin-off miniseries too yeah that blends in with the story and you get uh, near the end of the run sal Busema, uh, Sal actually did the, the finishes for that all spa- splash page, uh, issue. Just beautiful stuff. So yeah, oh, I really. Fantastic. The yeah. artist edition is, is mind blowing. Like I think Simonson, uh, no one has used the splash page, especially an all splash page issue as well. No one to me has ever topped the scope you needed and the scale to represent that Midgard serpent. I can't think of any other examples of someone who used that better. Yeah. And, and when you, when you mentioned that right now, it made me think of, uh, later on the inspiration that so many things get pulled from this particular run of Walt Simonson. Like for instance, the whole, uh, coming of doomsday 
in the Death of oh, Superman yeah. series of him hitting and you just see doom, doom. That was pulled right <laughs> from uh, Surtur banging on the, the, I forget the name of the sword, but his, his sword that yeah, he's banging yeah. and it just says doom. At, at the end of ish, all these issues, it's just you just see doom in those big letters. And yeah. they definitely took that from there, but also and there's a classic cover too, right? Where where he's shattering the. Uh, am I remembering it correctly? He's shattering the logo on that cover. Yeah, that's the first appearance of Beta Ray Bill. Yeah, where he shatters the the older logo to make way for the new one. Um, and and I th- and I think the death of Superman issue, where it's all splash all pages, splash page. is probably also inspired from that issue of the of the. Midgard serpent fight. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, I, I hadn't, I had, it hadn't occurred to me. But you're absolutely correct. Like, and and you know, just sort of thinking about Jurgen's work, he probably was uh, quite a devotee of Simonson. Yeah, and and Louise Simonson was in the room, writing, helping That's to write those right. stories. So she That's most right. likely she was said, one of the four. Yeah. So more than likely, she would have wow. said, "Let's do what. Let's do that." <laughs> and I feel like I heard that story. I'm not sure, but you, yeah, it's it's kind of cool when you can uh, when somebody leaves an impact as an artist and a writer on a book that becomes kind of like the the definitive version alongside the the, the definitive version from the original writer and artist. It's really yeah. neat when that happens. Do you think uh, I was having this conversation last? episode with um uh a a blogger from uh england who's a a huge comic book fan he he reminds me of you actually but he was we were talking about the 80s i how i felt a marvel's 80s is the best era of comics do you have a a sweet spot era for you that's that's the the high watermark oh boy um for marvel it definitely is the 80s um just because that was my, you know, that's where I grew up. That's where I read all the classic uh, comics that I love. But on the flip side, I felt like the uh, early days of the bankruptcy days when Joe Quesada came in, I felt like that was kind of a high watermark as well. So um, it is hard to say, but I, I would say probably that that sweet spot in the 80s uh, where Jim Shooter was in charge, where John Byrne was around, uh, Chris, Chris Claremont sort of at, at his height, Walt Simonson doing his thing, Frank Miller doing that thing. It's hard to beat. It absolutely is. So that's probably the high watermark for, for Marvel at least. Uh, for DC, similar as well, because uh, but then uh, they... They kind of got all the best writers into the 90s. Like they started developing the writing talent and they were kind of, they had some standout titles. But then once the sort of vertigo, I'm doing finger quotes, uh, vertigo British writers took over, uh, for me, DC's heyday was the 90s. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so interesting to, to kind of revisit because because now that we get all these reprints, right, we can really dig deep and, and read a couple of years in chunks. And digested a little bit differently than um, I, I felt that there was a time period where it was really cool to hate on the '90s, mm-hmm. whereas now we're, it's coming around where we're sort of seeing, you know, what that was kind of a cool thing they did then. Now, yeah, and back, there's a lot of nostalgia too. The kids that sort of grew up who were kids and teenagers now yeah. are feeling nostalgic for that, right? So, yeah. So I, I'm always okay. interested to hear uh, people's take on on their favorite eras. 
Did we ever on this show, did I ever share my, my theory about sort of the rise of DC uh, after their low point in the 70s? No, I don't, I don't uh, think you did. Okay, so here's, here's my, my basic theory, and uh, it's that they, there were two prongs, for three prongs actually, uh, for DC's eventual success. Because you, you've heard about the DC implosion, right? Where yeah. they just collapsed on itself, everyone was predicting the newsstands were going away, everyone was predicting It's kind of like what it feels DC. like now. Yeah, to the point, well, well, that particular system, like the, the right. newsstand distribution system, to the point where uh, I think Shooter uh, has had interviews that they had secret meetings uh, where Warner might have licensed the DC character, like got out of publishing altogether and licensed them to Marvel and let uh-huh. Marvel publish and again, it probably didn't get past the, the, the talking stage, right. but the fact that it was brought up as a possibility. Now, here's how DC crawled out of that hole. Uh, they, and, and in some ways, it's admitting Marvel won that battle. Uh, they poached the, the, the top Marvel talent. So you saw first uh, Marv Wolfman and George Perez come over, uh, doing Justice League, but then they really made their mark on the new Teen Titans. And that pretty much was the only bestseller of DC at that point, uh, up until a little sort of, uh, and I'll get to, to the other prong in a moment, but then uh, the, the, uh, the floodgates opened when they got Frank Miller to do this creator-owned Ronin, but at the same time, they were working in the background to get off this, this run of Daredevil, this classic run of Daredevil, uh, they got him to do uh, Dark Knight Returns. And then Batman Year One, essentially restarting, and, and also John Byrne uh, poached him from Marvel to reboot. Uh, arguably, Marv Wolfman and uh, George Perez as, as Marvel creators um, rebooted the DC universe with crisis into more of a Marvel style, shall we say, by bringing in all these creators, right? So, uh, uh, Perez went on to wonder woman. Uh, the other prong is the British invasion led by Alan Moore. So swamp thing with their, their critical darling that they sort of, uh, built over time and it worked out so well, they just recruited all this British talent, which basically culminated in, let's say three or four waves of British talent that eventually formed the vertigo line. And then the third tier is, uh, and this is the one they don't talk about too much, but it occurred to me when you pointed out Mike Grell's, uh, green arrow on your shelf. Uh, they hired Mike Gold, who was an editor at First Comics. And when you think about the talent he brought in, it wasn't the A-list, but they filled out the rest of the line, sort of the, the second tier and maybe even the third tier, uh, with First Comics talent. So you had Mike Barron, the creator Badger and Nexus on The Flash, you had Mike Grell, John Sable Freelance, 
who again he was originally a uh, a DC creator doing Warlord, et cetera, et cetera, Legion of Superheroes. But he came back to revamp Green Arrow. Uh, John Ostrander, who oh, came yes. to revamp. Uh, John Ostrander came came from First Comics doing uh, Grimjack, and again. He revamped Suicide Squad, and Hawkworld he also revamped, but again, that wasn't as much of a splash once the ongoing series. Howard Chaikin uh, came over to do The Shadow and uh, Blackhawk uh, after his run on uh, at First Comics uh, uh, American Flag. And on and on and on. So, so that, that's kind of my, my uh, three-pronged theory about DC's major comeback into a force to be reckoned with uh, eventually and, and, and yeah, eventually becoming a, a marketing giant again and usurping Marvel in the nineties. At one point uh, they changed positions and DC started beating Marvel again. Yeah. And, and DC always had, unfortunately now it, it pains me going back to the beginning of the conversation, but they had much more recognizable icons property globally you could they and i think part of the dc brand it is more of the emblem absolutely i I don't i can't think of you know what would thor's emblem be other than you know a picture of the hammer or iron like they don't have logos so merchandising yeah as as yogurt said uh (laughs) and what floated them through the 70s and 80s was licensing right toys the super friends the superpowers you know during their lowest point again they could have gone away and and this is what their parent company was thinking warner brothers like well we have let's just become a licensing company and in fact why are we publishing comics we'll license it out right so yeah it is kind of fascinating yeah it's um it always pains me to think of how how big they could be. It would be cool to see them much more competitive on the big screen with uh, mm-hmm. with with Marvel. Seeing as how you know BVS was a should have been a dream movie, easy to make, but <laughs> how you can mess up, uh, I don't know. It is funny that you talk about the logos because I distinctly remember the moment when uh, Wonder Woman, I don't know if you remember like the Wonder Woman TV show, for example, up until that point, she had basically a golden eagle on right. her uh, as, as her, her chest emblem, shall we say. Right. Uh, but I do distinctly remember at, at the, the point where uh, Warner Brothers, you know, DC decided that instead of the eagle, it would be a stylized bird-like double W. Right. Instead, and again, that's that's so they could sell underoos, I guess, or or t-shirts or or whatnot. And that WW still, for the most part, stands today, doesn't it? Like her armor yeah. still has that uh, bird-like WW. Yeah, that that be, that's become more of a standard thing for her to have than even that that uh, stylized WW like you mentioned. But yeah, I think. Mm-hmm. The, you, you think of a Spider-Man emblem, it might just, you know, be a spider, but it may not necessarily be Spider-Man unless you have the whole costume on. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Whereas you distinctly see the Batman symbol or the yeah. Superman symbol or the Green Lantern symbol or the Flash symbol. You know, uh, boom, you already know what that means. And so in the, that was a, a thing for, I think, always in DC's favor because the Batman movie came out and it was a global sensation and it uh, changed the... I guess the seriousness 
of how people could take comic books when they saw that movie mm-hmm. and the way it was done. Yeah, no, absolutely. You, you think about it. It's like Iron Man doesn't really have a logo. Hulk doesn't really have a logo. And uh, uh, yeah, Captain America has a star, I guess, but that's fairly generic. Yeah, no, and, and they've managed to make an Iron Man face, just the face mask. Now yeah. you can communicate that so quickly. So, mm-hmm. ah, oh, well, we can. But it's not even a, a logo per se, is it? Because I do have one of these uh, shirts that has like the, I'm doing the finger quotes, the Avengers symbols on them. But yeah. the hammer, the, I think it's the star or it might be the A or something like that. Hulk's got a fist. You know, and yeah, Iron Man's got the mask, but uh, on their own, they don't really necessarily huh. say uh, the same thing as a Superman logo or yeah, a Batman. Logo. They wear that on their suit, like the Flash wears the Flash symbol on his chest. Like they all mm-hmm. put it on their chest, right? So yeah, it, yeah. it becomes a brand. It becomes the logo. You f- almost can feel like this is who I want to represent in some way today. But uh, <laughs> just to, I don't know. It's it's a good it's a good time to be alive in regards to the way we can get together and enjoy all of these different forms of fandom and uh, go back to our happy place, if you will. Uh, I see that it's it's getting to that time where your next meeting is about to start. So uh, this was a great talk. Like time just passes. I whenever we chit chat, time just like passes like it's nothing, and I'm I'm glad I can let my. Uh, uh, f- fan flag fly, so so to speak, with all my theories, my, my I fan love service it. theory. No, this this is exactly. <laughs> I I'm really enjoying the last little bit of my conversation. When I when I started podcasting again after I took a little hiatus in 2020, uh, I really like the direction of conversations and the, and recurring guests who start to feel like just good old friends where we can just talk about everything and forget that the record button is on. That's what I want it to feel like. So that makes me happy that you, you feel that way, Sam, but I don't want you to be late for your next appointment. You're a professional and a busy man. (laughs) And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. We will, uh, we'll definitely do this again much sooner than later. Anytime you want me on the show, I'm, I'm there, brother. Uh, Thank you so much. You have a great night and we will, we will chat soon. And thank you everybody for listening. Please rate and review uh, the cave of solitude. If you enjoy it, it does actually make a difference. And if not, that's okay. We hope you enjoy it just the same. Uh, We will be back soon with uh, more familiar guests on the cave of solitude. Thank you everybody.